AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, you stick around, I'll make it worth your while. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And uh, hey, guys, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen uh, a little, it's a, I mean, it's kind of one of those cult classic type things. It's one of those science fiction cult classics. It's a uh, Star Trek. Star Trek, yes. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit. Okay. That was the one with uh, the Force, right? Yeah. Li- <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it, people would say, people would say, live long and prosper, then the little gem in their, in their hand would light up, and then they'd be chased down by replicants. I'm okay. pretty sure that's what, how it went. Where did Gandalf come in? You know, um, everywhere he could. He just, you could not keep him out. You tried, and he'd be like, uh-uh, here I am. And we loved him for it. 
No, the, no, seriously, Star Trek. We're talking about warp drive today. The time and, traveling uh, police box. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get let's try let's <laughs> no, try and actually okay. we're gonna we're we're done making making terrible like meme mashups here. But okay. no, we're gonna talk about Star Trek and warp, warp drive. drive. Yeah, warp drive. So you know, Star Trek was a space opera. It would span the entire Milky Way galaxy, more or less. You know, you've got these incredible, huge expanses of distance that you have to cover in order for you to have these adventures where the Enterprise, which was an exploration ship, could get from point A to point, you know, Z Delta Q 47 dash M. And, uh, in order to do that, you had to figure out, well, how are we going to have a propulsion system for this ship that will allow for this, this amazing amount of travel? Well, but Jonathan, there's no wind resistance in space. So uh-huh. couldn't you just continually accelerate? Like you keep accelerating and you just keep going faster, right? There's nothing to slow you down. There's this small problem called Relativity, yeah, special relativity, special relativity. All right, specifically, yeah. let's let's uh let's talk about light here for a second. Okay, so in our universe, from what we understand, anything that has uh, mass is limited by the speed of light. Nothing can go at the speed of light that has mass. Nothing can def- definitely nothing can break through it from our side, based upon what we know with special relativity. Now that doesn't mean that there isn't stuff. That's moving faster than the speed of light that we just haven't detected yet. But we believe that there is an impossible barrier of the speed of light and anything on one side of it, meaning anything slower than speed of light can't go faster than that. And anything faster than speed of light can't go slower than that. And how do we know that? Well, it's because we have this equation E equals MC squared. You've heard it before. And it's a very well tested equation. It, it, it's pretty much proven to be correct on on the relativistic scale. Yeah. Um, but the problem is when you plug the numbers into that, you realize that if something with mass goes the speed of light, its mass would technically become infinite. Now, I'm going to correct you. Sorry. That is a very common, that's a very common, uh, uh, statement, although it's not entirely correct. What we should say, instead of saying mass, we should think of it in terms of just energy. Right. All right. Energy required to accelerate. In order to accelerate it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The amount of energy you would need to propel that, that mass to the speed of light, let alone faster, would reach infinity, which means that you would not be able to do it. You cannot do it. At the same time, we have another thing that we have to take, take into account, time dilation, which is, uh, from the perspective of an outside observer, time would start to slow down for anyone who is approaching the speed of light. And if they were to hit the speed of light, time would stop from the perspective of an an outside observer. From your perspective, if you're the one traveling at that speed, everything's a-okay. Everything's normal. Well, in fact, going close to the speed of light is an easy way to create a time machine, right? You can travel into the future. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I can do that too, just by waiting around. <laughs> I just let it happen. You, you Blistering can travel, speeds of one second per second. Right? <laughs> you can travel uh, faster than the things around you into the future because for you, time slows down. Right. Well, and only it's only when you reach that frame of reference that uh, the other observer is in. Right. So, like, if Joe, if if you get in your rocket ship and you rocket off at near the speed of light, and I stay on Earth. To you, uh, time is passing exactly as it would if you were anywhere else doing anything else anywhere. Right. To me, time is passing, based upon my own experience, exactly the same way. A second is a second to both of us. However, from my perspective, more time would be passing for me than it would be for you. And when you got back to Earth and we were to compare our our time pieces, we would see that 
that's the kind of uh, that's how what reality would reflect. Your, I, your, I would arrive in your future. I would. Uh, I would. Well, I would. I, I guess we, it would be you, present. You would, you would be <laughs> younger when you got back than yeah. Jonathan was comparatively. Yeah. yeah. In um, other words, I would have aged more in that time. Yes. Because more time would have passed for me, less time would have passed for you. And we can see that in things like satellites. Uh, there's what, like a seven microsecond, I believe? It's like... lag of satellite clocks versus Earth clocks due to the speed with which they're going. Yeah. However, and there's... And the, the relationship to the mass of Earth, right? Yeah. Okay. There are two things you have to take into account, the masses and the speed. But yes, you are right. You, we have to throw in special little leap seconds every now and then to keep the clocks on track. Mm-hmm. So um, another interesting thing is that, so, you know, we, we talk about the speed of light being the, the maximum. So the maximum maximum being speed of light through a vacuum, right? Like mm-hmm. when there's nothing else there, because light will travel at different speeds through different media, right? If it goes through glass, it's a little slower. If it goes through water, it's a little different. But if it goes through a vacuum, that's supposed to be the fastest ever, period, Right. Wrong. Did you guys see this? <laughs> Scientists made light go faster than light. Did you? Did, did you I know, totally did you know what I'm talking about? This. No, tell okay. Me about it. All right. This is this is pretty awesome. So in at Princeton, we had some scientists, and you know, scientists they get a little rowdy, just like anybody else. And you know, on a Friday night, things are a little slow in the lab. It's time to break some basic laws of physics. Uh, they actually created a a um, a little chamber of uh, cesium vapor. And they they uh, put laser pulses through the this chamber, and they were observing that the laser pulses were emerging from the end of the chamber before they had fully entered the other side of the chamber. So the laser pulses are shorter than the chamber actually is, and yet they were emerging before they could have already been all the way into it. How is this possible? How could they actually move faster than the speed of light? Well, it turns out. It's not actually breaking the law of, laws of physics. It's not breaking special relativity from what we can tell. What seems to be happening there is that the information in the laser pulse is contained entirely in the very front end of the laser pulse. And as soon as it starts entering into the chamber, it's actually generating a new laser pulse on the, uh, on the other side. So it's not the same laser pulse going into the, fr- uh, the front as it is coming out the back. It's kind of like if you were to have a set of twins, and you have one twin positioned at the exit of this room, and another twin starts to walk into one entrance just as the second twin goes out the exit. To you, it's like, how did that person cover that entire room instantaneously? They didn't. It's two people. In this Mm. case, it's two pulses, but it was a pulse that's generated because of the information contained Mm. in the beginning of that laser pulse. Okay, well, why is this speed limit a problem if you want to explore the galaxy like they did in Star Trek? Well, let's take a look big. at the distances. <laughs> What's the closest star to Earth? The sun. It's eight minutes away. <laughs> ha! You got me there. Um, the uh, No, what is the closest star to our solar system that is not the sun? Well, it's Proxima Centauri. Yes, yes. Uh, and it is 4.2 light years away. Meaning that so, it takes 4.2 Earth years for light to travel from that star to us. Right. So you make a good point that that is from the outside observer's perspective, right. not from the traveler's perspective. But yes. let's say that you were going at the speed that it's not possible to go, the speed of light, okay. as far as we know. So we're it would on still a, take, for, to an outside observer, a really long time for you to get there. I mean, just prohibitively long for really exploring the whole galaxy. 
Right. From from inside that ship, it wouldn't take 4.2 years, right? That's right. But, but to anyone else, it would take 4.2 years, and that's the closest star. So if we're talking about distant stars, one, it's still going to take you a long time to get there personally. It may take months for you to get to a distant star uh, on a ship, even traveling at the speed of light. To yeah. an outside observer, it may take generations, depending upon how far away you're talking. And, so, and even for you, if you're talking about really exploring the galaxy, like going to other quadrants, yeah. so they say, I mean, that's going to take a long time. Yes. Uh, at subliminal speeds. Yes. So... Can we do it? Is there a way that we could ever possibly go superliminal? Well, Star Trek had to explain it somehow. What did they say? Well, they they went with the uh, the warp drive approach, which is that uh, originally they were calling it a hyperdrive back in the in the original 1960s series. Mm. But then, um, certainly by the end of that series, and and when Next Generation kicked up, they started using this this warp field idea. Yeah, talking about going at warp two or warp four or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you know, Star Wars stuck with hyperdrive, but uh, they. The idea was that, well, Star Wars, they never explained it. It might as well just be magic in Star Wars. But in Star <laughs> I think Trek, it is magic. Yeah. yeah, so much is in Star Wars. In Star Trek, they attempt to explain it by saying that uh, they generate a warp bubble around the ship, and that warp bubble actually warps space around it. And so if you were to think of space, you know, space time is kind of this. Think of it as a, as almost like a fabric in a way. It's, but it's, it's this three dimensional, really four dimensional fabric that, that is the stuff that our, our universe, our, or at least our galaxy sits in. And, um, and things like gravity affect it and can distort it and change it in, in different ways. And, uh, so if you were to try and travel from point A to point B, and it would normally take you 10 years of travel because uh, of the distances involved, uh, if you were to be able to warp those distances so that the distances were actually closer together, it would take you less time to get there. And you would have the benefit of not breaking special relativity in the, in the process because, uh, in a you, localized area, right. you're still going well below the speed yeah. of light. You, you are in a little subspace bubble, um, that is, kind of magically created. Right. They, they didn't really get into the ex- actual explanation of this until, I believe, Star Trek First Contact, which began development in 1994, the date of which is going to become important in just a moment. Yeah, so the idea here is that we have, uh, like, you know, kind of like if you were to look at a map and you look at New York and you look at L.A. and you think, wow, it'd take a really long time. You know, you're just tracing your finger from New York to L.A. and following all the highways. And then you think, well, what if I just fold the map so that L.A.'s on top of New York? And now, boom, I'm magically there. That's more or less what we're talking about, except that it's not necessarily taking two points in space and folding all of space-time so that they are because adjacent. that would be more like a wormhole, which is a different concept of... of- hyperspeed travel yeah uh this would be more like let's let's try and crinkle space time so that we can get it closer and that way we're still traveling at uh at at relativistic speeds but we're uh but we're having less distance to cover more more like um more like riding a surfboard on a wave rather than trying to swim through it or like moving on a uh like standing on a moving sidewalk and walking rather than walking on you know just regular non-moving ground sure so in Star Trek, what they're precisely talking about doing, because you can always look into the science of Star Trek, they write a lot of books about it that are yeah. really fun, mm-hmm. um, is using a matter-antimatter reaction to create a really energetic plasma, which is then channeled into warp coils that generate this warp field that form the subspace bubble that take you to, you know, planet Klingon. Where do the Jeffries tubes come in? Those are my <laughs> favorite. <laughs> 
That's um, what you use to uh, to access the nacelles, right? <laughs> which 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 come into that process somehow. Right. Yeah. That's uh, where the the warp field ends up uh, emanating from the ship to end up surrounding it and then creating this warp drive. Okay. So uh, so the ship itself isn't moving at uh, superliminal speeds. It's riding a wave of space that's moving at superliminal speeds. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. I don't think it's going to come out exactly the way Star Trek did. I don't think we're going to come across dilithium crystals anytime soon. Those are what were supposed to generate the antimatter. But antimatter is a real thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, antimatter is matter that would have an opposite charge of its counterpart in matter. So the electron has a negative charge. A positron would be the uh, the antimatter component. That would be a, a the positively charged subatomic particle in the antimatter world. Uh, antimatter and matter, when they meet, annihilate one another and release energy as a result. Uh, during the Big Bang, for reasons we don't fully understand, there was a little bit more matter than there was antimatter. And so the those, those early uh, reactions an, the, annihilated most of everything, and we had more matter left over, so that's why we've got matter in our universe. Um, I would guess from a universe that had antimatter, maybe they would view theirs as the matter and ours would be the antimatter. Again, it's that frame of reference thing. I believe this was explored in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon series with the neutrinos. Uh, I'm sure it was. Any, I'm not going to even pause to <laughs> acknowledge that any further. So but You already did. Any further, I said. <laughs> and now you made me do it again. You made me break my word. Anyway, so the uh, matter and Antimatter reactions could actually create enough energy, uh, theoretically speaking, to create some form of warp bubble according to certain theories. Nothing that we've been able to test out and actually say, yes, this is uh, this is something that is actually possible. It's just hypothetical at the moment. But uh, it would probably take a lot of it, like like a seriously huge amount of antimatter. Because uh, the antimatter that we've produced in things like the Large Hadron Collider you're talking about minuscule amounts, not like something on the size of, say, Jupiter, which is what people first thought would be required to create a warp bubble of significant size to move something like a vessel um, from one point to another. Uh, beyond that, being able to designate different levels of warp, because <laughs> you know, they had the warp 9 through warp, warp 10, and then they eventually would... I think in the final episode of The Next Generation, uh, the new version of the Enterprise goes like Warp 14 or something, which doesn't make any sense because according to the uh, the mythology in the world, Warp 10 was supposed to approach infinite speed. So I don't know how you go faster than infinite speed. but What is infinite speed? It's, it's essentially <laughs> supposed to be infinitely faster than uh, the speed of light because Warp 9 was, I think, 1,900 times the speed of light. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused. I'm betting that Keanu Reeves was involved and I disapprove. <laughs> yeah, well, no ship was supposed to be able to actually go warp 10. I think the 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 upper limit on ships was supposed to be 9.65 or something. But, uh, but of course, Star Trek, you know, establishes rules and then breaks them. Okay, so Scotty aside, <laughs> what have real scientists said about this? Well, uh, so 1994, we've got a Mexican physicist. His name is Miguel Alcubierre. And uh, he proposed a method of stretching space. So you would stretch it in a wave, uh, which would cause the fabric of space ahead of a spacecraft to contract and the space behind it to expand, thus propelling it kind of like in that surfboard type fashion you were talking about, Lauren, so that you could uh, move at uh, from an outside perspective at superliminal speeds. Right. But again, 
what we're saying is that the ship itself, relative to its reference frame, is not going faster than the speed of light. It's riding sort of a bubble or a wave of space yeah. that is going faster than the speed of light. Right, right. So you're still you're still um, maintaining special relativity. You're not breaking it in any way. You're not like physically traveling. It's not like not like someone is suddenly able to run faster than the speed <laughs> of light. It's just that again, let's say that you're doing the hundred meter dash and uh, and you're able to 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 compress those hundred meters into two meters for you. <laughs> and you'd be able to pa- uh, cross that, that hundred meters in the same amount of time that normally take you to cross two meters. That's oversimplifying what this model would do, but it's a similar idea. It's this idea of being able to essentially compress space, uh, and ride the super fast hyperspace warp bubble. Um, Right, but the problem here is still with fuel because what Miguel was saying, Alcubierre was saying that um, that you would potentially need more energy than what's contained in the entire universe in order to get this engine started. Yeah, and then there were others who said that even if you fiddled with it a little bit, you might be able to get it down to a matter-antimatter reaction to provide the energy for generating this hypothetical warp bubble. As far as we know, this... Is just hypothetical. We right. may not ever be able to do it. Well, I think what he showed is that um, it's theoretically consistent. The problem is just practical, right? right? That, that, that it's not like that this doesn't make sense. The What it is is that the idea makes sense. It, like, could technically work. You just need this stuff that we don't know if you could really make. Right. And and antimatter was just one of the uh, examples of something that could give power. In fact, he was talking more about if you were able to find uh, matter that has negative mass. Right. All right. So I'm going to blow you guys' minds here for a second. Negative mass. All right. Negative, negative mass. Negative mass. So negative mass would be like imagine it's – I can't really imagine this, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Imagine that you have an object that has negative two kilograms of mass. Okay. So instead of having two kilograms of mass, it's negative two kilograms of mass. Now, with simple equations, for example, force equals mass times acceleration. If you take that negative factor in there and you multiply that by an acceleration and to get the force, you're going to get an interesting result. So, for example, it would mean that if I had a an object with negative mass and I were to push it, it would move in the uh, opposite direction of the force applied to it. So, Joe, if you had negative mass and I pushed you, I would go into your hand. Yes, you would you would move into me. And that would be a very awkward thing, and we'd have to go see HR. But uh, <laughs> or, or on a larger scale, like a negative moon and a negative Earth, if you could imagine such things, would um, would repel each other instead of attracting each other gravitationally. It would also be a little odd because uh, when you have negative mass, the neg- the electromagnetic force that holds it together would be. Uh, uh, a destructive force rather than a, cause it, cause then anything that pulls it together right. would actually push it apart. Let me ask you this. All right. So you've got negative mass. Let's say that I have a negative mass object that, uh, that I've suspended somehow. Don't, don't ask me how yet. Warp bubble. Uh, but then I, but then it drops. I let go of it. What happens to it? It goes up. No, it does not go up. Oh. It actually falls. And the reason why it falls is because while we call gravity a force, it's actually an, uh, it's actually acceleration. It's not really a force in the, in the sense of the basic forces of thermodynamic law. It's an acceleration. It would still fall. However, because an object 
that has negative mass would go in the opposite direction of where you pl- placed force. You know, if I put an object on top of a table, technically the table is pressing up at mm-hmm. a level of force that's uh, equal to keeping that object on t- on the table. Well, if an object with negative mass goes in the, the same direction as whatever force you apply to it, it happens to be, that means you'd have to put a negative mass object underneath a table and <laughs> let go, and the table would keep it from falling. But if you were to remove that table, then it would fall. And <laughs> once it hit the ground, because the ground would be providing force pushing up, and because the object would want to go in the same direction as where the force is coming from, it would start to either disintegrate or burrow into the surface of the earth, not stopping until it got to the center. Just kill me now. <laughs> okay, you no, wanted to this, know about it. Right. This, well, this is, this is the kind of stuff. Matter like this is what uh, physicists might call exotic matter. Yes. Right. It's stuff that in a lot of cases we, we don't really have any way of knowing that this exists. Right. But – you can make sense of it mathematically. Right. You can make a mathematical argument for it, but or, you know, we don't have any actual practical evidence of I, it. I would put quotation marks around sense in that particular <laughs> yeah. application. But but theories about this go back to the 1950s and um, were, were kind of revamped and applied to conceptual engines in the 1980s, which probably is what led us to our fancy Star Trek kind of concepts. Right. right. But so technically... If you could get your hands on a whole bunch of this exotic matter that we're not sure exists, you could maybe create this warp drive. Uh, possibly. Possibly, because if, if, if you get two objects, um, that the masses of which cancel out, then, um, it, it, you know, the interactions between them could create a constant acceleration in the direction of the positive mass, wherein their momentum and energy would remain canceled out. <laughs> I'm going to just nod because at some point I just started uh, imagining candy bars in the middle of that in the middle of that sentence. That's probably safer for um, everybody. Well, involved. let me put it to you this way. Let me, let me say something else. So let's say that we were able to create a warp drive. Uh, that, that doesn't even even assuming that that's even possible. And we've got there are people working on it right now. NASA's got folks working right now trying to see if there's if this is actually a possibility. Whoa! Don't just breeze past that. NASA is working on warp drive. Well, they're looking at at least the feasibility of working might be a strong word. Yeah, I I wouldn't uh, say building a warp drive. I'd say checking to see if the science or at least the 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 hypothesis can be reflected in reality. Yeah, they uh, wouldn't you wouldn't say working on it as in like they're building one. You'd say they're doing research on it. Uh, They've devoted at least one, uh, I think, fifty thousand dollar interferometer. Yeah. to this research. Right, mm-hmm. to see if it is all it is at all possible to generate a warp bubble in the first place. But uh I was going to say that even if we were to be able to make a warp drive like tomorrow and we were able to build a ship that could in fact warp space around it, there's some other potential issues. One of which is that uh there's some people who think that it's possible such a uh, device would create such a huge level of Hawking radiation that we would all die if we were to ride inside a spacecraft. That would be bad. Yeah, there's so. an, there's also there's also some uh, some people who suggest that the deceleration process, while perfectly fine for everybody who's on board, assuming that we're still okay from the Hawking radiation, um, could be somewhat destructive 
at the destination. <laughs> yeah, there's this idea that, um, say, a bubble of space moving through space around it uh, at these superliminal speeds would sort of collect charged particles that are flying through space at super high energy as it moved along. Mm-hmm. And it would just kind of like carry them along in its pocket until you stop. And then and just then, release them. Yeah, oh, right, because those be... particles don't have brakes the way that the ship does. And so, you know, suddenly your bubble stops, your ship stops, the particles keep going and destroy the solar system. Right, yeah. So as you're, as you're flying along, you're just collecting ammunition that will immediately <laughs> be launched out in a cone of death in front of you wherever you stop. My bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of how I am. Everywhere, I, everything I touch, I destroy. Well, just the point is, if we if we get this drive working, you'd want to like I don't know, park around the block, right? You don't want to don't pull right up to where you're going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and there's there's still a little bit of an energy problem because even this NASA team, which is being led by a Harold Sunny White, um, is is saying that the system would work on on about like the annual energy consumption of the United States, which is smaller than that Jupiter thing that we were talking right. about I earlier, think they said that the uh, antimatter, the amount of antimatter they would need would be about the size of the Voyager spacecraft as opposed to Jupiter. Right. Which is well, you know, that's significantly smaller. Yeah, yeah. It's still the, the, we're still running into that huge problem of how do you supply enough energy? In fact, that was one of the interesting things at, at HowStuffWorks.com. If you read how warp, how uh, warp speed works, which uh, John Fuller wrote a few years ago. Uh-huh. I sat I sat next to John and I gave him helpful hints and he still didn't include my bit about the Jeffrey Stoops. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, he had asked me a couple of questions as he was working on this article. Uh, he taught it. He actually did some research and found that uh, scientists were talking about how impractical it would be because a ship the size of the Enterprise would require a certain amount of energy in order to move just at impulse. Uh, speeds impulse is like it's it's uh slower than the speed of light it's not it's pretty fast but as, as i recall it's um less than warp one so uh, but impulse drive would be uh, would be enough to require more energy than what the enterprise could feasibly supply let alone the energy you would need to fuel a warp drive uh you know propulsion system so uh that seems to still be well within the realms of science fiction. So even if we were able to prove that this is a possibility from an actual, uh, like being able to really create a warp bubble, like that's actually a thing we could do, it may not be something we can practically do as a means of transportation. Uh, at the same time, while we want to be careful not to overhype, we also shouldn't laugh this off. I mean, I, I encourage this research. Oh, sure. I mean, well... If nothing else, it teaches us more about how space-time itself is constructed, right? And oh, it may yeah. it may tell us more about things like the uh, the the conditions uh, the universe was in in the instant after the Big Bang. You know that that will be amazing stuff to learn. You know, just from making observations through this kind of stuff. And who knows? Maybe there is some way we can harness this in a way to uh, either have communications or transportation in some future implementation, it would be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, as long as we don't, you know, blow up whatever it is we're trying to call. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, well, that, that NASA research team is, is talking about trying to implement this on the quantum level as, you know, many things are talked about being implemented in, in yeah. this kind of theoretical physics. But, 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 but even that, if, if they could pull something like that off of creating a warp bubble on, of, of quantum particles in the next few years, that, that's terrific. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it- 
not to beat a dead horse, but we keep revisiting this idea. Go a hundred years back and show them all the technology we have now. It is magic. They burn yeah. it at it's the just stake. Unthinkable magic. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, heck, I mean, if I just have a conversation with some of my extended family members, they think that I <laughs> that I've harnessed some sort of weird magical power. But uh, you know, I grew up in rural Georgia. So, all right. Well, um, do you guys have anything else you want to say about warp drive before we sign off into the? Sunset. That's that's all I got. All right. Okay. Well, we're gonna Beam wrap me up. Let's wrap up warp. So, guys, uh, that's it. Uh, make sure you go and visit our website fwthinking.com. That's where we have all the videos and blog posts and articles that you can peruse and enjoy. There's some amazing stuff on there. I highly recommend you go check that out. And remember, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle is fwthinking, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.